welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and share it with others. All right, Chase, we are ready for our final discussion at the end of the study of the book of Acts, and we're going to talk today about the concept of making disciples and conversion of souls in the book of Acts. Yeah, I mean, highly debated subject amongst different churches, and everyone's got their own opinions on it, but I think we can all agree the one authority we need to go to is God's Word. Uh, That's where we need to go to figure all this out. Um, And I do believe it is very consistent through Scripture how we see people becoming a disciple of Jesus. Another way we might put that is how someone is saved, how somebody is forgiven of their sins. How does somebody accept Jesus? Um, Because that obviously was our whole message. Well, not our message, but Mark's message as we were in season one going through the Gospel of Mark. How do I become this disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to pick up my cross? How do I go about doing that? And so this also carries over into the book of Acts as well. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to look for a consistent pattern in conversion as we look at the book of Acts from a big picture um, concept. Yeah. And really, if, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, I would refer you to season one. <laughs> yeah. Go back and read the Gospel of Mark and listen to what Jesus said about discipleship and about taking up your cross and following him and everything. Listen to Jesus' teachings on morality and life and what he wants you to do. If you become a disciple, you're becoming a student and a follower of Jesus Christ. And to do that, you need to go back to Jesus and, and hear his teachings, see his living, so that you can imitate him. Yeah, so while we're on that Jesus topic, it's cool to look at, after Jesus was rose from the dead, what he told his disciples to do, or at least what I mean is his 12 apostles. Right. And so Jesus, after he becomes the king, we talked a couple episodes ago about the uh, kingdom of God. Jesus has all authority. And I love this passage at the end of the Gospel of Matthew that really helps introduce what's going to happen in the book of Acts. Uh, Matthew 28, where I'm reading, and verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So many cool things about this, but Jesus is basically saying, listen, I'm the king. I have authority in heaven and earth, everything. So I want you guys to go, and I want you to make disciples. That's really the key idea here, and that's the word that's used consistently of the the converts in the book of Acts are called disciples most consistently. There's a couple of other titles used for them, but disciples is the one like most often used. And again, that idea of a disciple is a, a student, a, a learner, but more than just like getting like a student from a teacher where you're like just getting yeah. information. Don't think just like college professor lecturing you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. This is like a whole lifestyle change. You're mimicking yes. that person's lifestyle, their teaching, their everything about them. You're wanting to be like them as much as you can. Exactly, exactly. And so he says, you make disciples. And so there's two parts of that. And we'll see this played out in Acts. He says, one, you need to baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they're going to be immersed in water. We'll see later on that clarified. 
Um, and then you need, in verse 20, to teach them all that I have commanded you. Yeah. And again, that's where you go back to the Gospels. And like, yeah, he's Jesus is king, so go back. And everything he said, do that. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it's not only the lifestyle of what Jesus was imploring them to live. It's also kind of circular because here Jesus is commanding them to go make disciples. And then he tells them, teach them all that I've commanded you. So teach them to go make disciples too is basically what that's I'm right. saying. And disciples making disciples. Right. And so we'll come to the book of Acts now, and that's exactly what we're going to see. We'll see the apostles making disciples in Acts 2. But then we'll see those disciples going out and making disciples mm-hmm. from there. So it's super cool to just see the chain reaction of that through the book of Acts. Yeah. And one other just super important note is we're not going to highlight this so much in this episode because this is more about like our reaction to the good news. But the good news about Jesus is his death for us. That is how we are forgiven of our sins. There's, there's nothing about our reaction that merits that forgiveness. Uh, we're going to talk today about like what did the people do to become disciples in the book of Acts. But it's so important like to go back to the Gospels and be like, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, go read the letters to the Christians. And like all throughout there, he's like, it's not your works. It's not your what you do. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from your sin. And we're not going to rehash all of that in this episode right now. Um, again, I would refer you back to our Mark uh, talks about you know uh, Jesus and his sacrifice, his atoning death for our sins. But we're just going to look today really more at like once the gospel is preached in these different cities, in these different situations and acts, what do people do? to become disciples? Is there being made a disciple? Right. What, how do they start that process? And perhaps one of the biggest places to see what they were doing is in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. All of these Jews from 16 different places come to Jerusalem on that day. And that's when Peter takes his stand with the 11 and he proclaims to them the message of Jesus Christ. The fact that he was sent from God very clearly from the Old Testament scriptures. He is from God. The fact that he was put to death on a cross. And ultimately, what Peter's lesson will hinge on is the fact that Jesus raised three days later, which was according to the scriptures. It wasn't David uh, that was being talked about in those passages in Psalm 16, but it was Jesus who fulfills that. He is both both not only the Son of God, but he is the rightful heir as king to the throne. And so Peter eventually convinces all of these people— that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And obviously, he's talking to a group of people who just put to death the guy who they just learned is Lord and Christ. You crucified him. Very emotional section of Scripture. And so, in Acts 2 and verse 37, uh, once they're convinced that Jesus is the Christ, it says that they're pierced to the heart, and they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? do <laughs> and that's the question is so yeah. like we've heard about jesus we recognize we've all in some way or another by our own sin and rebellion against god we've all put jesus on that cross so what, what can i possibly do and again i love that the first act of king jesus as king is forgiving his enemies but he says here's what you need to do verse x2 verse 38 and peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children 
and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Yeah, so Peter starts off with them by telling them that they need to repent. Now, this is something you've heard Stephen and I emphasize a lot because the text emphasizes it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, even going back to season one in Mark 1, John the Baptist is preaching this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus comes on the scene. and Repent, he's, yeah, for the, for the kingdom, kingdom of God, God, is, God at is at hand. hand. Yep. Mark 6, then Jesus sends out his 12 apostles preaching that men should repent. It's a consistent theme throughout Acts, so we'll rehash it here. What does that mean? What does it mean to repent? It's a very Bible word. Yeah, well, I think it's cool that in, in the next chapter of Acts, Acts 3, verses 19 and 20, he expands a little bit on this idea. As they're preaching here in the in the temple, he says in Acts three nineteen, Repent, therefore, and turn back, yeah. that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Yeah, repent's a very active word, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a word that it, it's something that does happen internally, but that is then shown externally. It is a changing of the mind. It is a turning of the will. That I am turning away from my sins. I am deciding never to go back to those things again. And we realize that that's not always going to play out perfectly, but it is the fundamental decision in that moment of I'm turning away from that sin. I'm never going to plan to do it again. Even if I do stumble later, I am repenting. I'm crucifying the old man is is how it's pictured later on in the letters. I'm putting my old will, my old way of life, my old way of thinking to death. Paul will say later in Acts 26 when he's preaching to King Agrippa, he'll talk about needing to preach to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he said that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Mm-hmm. So again, you really see that active side of repentance. You're, you're turning away from yourself internally and turning toward God. And that's obviously going to exhibit itself in a lot of physical ways. If you're someone who is a drunk, that's got to stop. That's a physical thing that has to quit now that you're turning to God. And there's countless other ways that this would apply. Right. I mean, yeah. When we talk about repentance, I mean, it's each person, you have to look at what King Jesus said and then look at your life and say, okay, how am I going to apply the will of King Jesus to my life? And every one of us are going to be like, well, this has got to change and that's got to change and this other thing's got to change. And so it's not for us to like tell you the whole list of things, but like every person who wants to be a disciple has to say, okay, what did King Jesus say? And then it's an ongoing process. There may be things that initially you didn't know about. And as you learn and grow as a disciple, you you realize, oh, like here's another thing that I need to repent of. I didn't realize or hadn't learned about that yet. And what you're doing when you are converted is you're giving Jesus a blank check and saying, whatever you say, Jesus, whatever it costs me, I'm going to do it. Anything that I become aware of in my life that I'm not giving to you, I will then give to you. And that's the idea of full repentance. And this is honestly, this is the hardest part of conversion. It is the part that hurts the most Mm -hmm. because it requires me giving up what I love the most and putting God at the center of my life and the center of my heart. Yeah, this is this is the cutting off of the right hand, right? It's going to hurt, but it's going to be worth it for the sake of entering the kingdom of heaven. That's right. And so not only is there a call for them to repent of their sins, 
Um, in, this, in this case, they really need to repent of the way that they thought of Jesus um, and the way that they thought of God here. Um, but there's not only that call, but they're also told to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, very clearly worded for us. Uh, I like how clearly this is worded in our translations, that mm-hmm. baptism in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, this is where sins are washed away. This is where we come into contact with the blood of Jesus. And we'll look at several more examples of baptism in just a little bit. But uh, this really, for me, is the hub of, of the need for baptism, where it's clearly telling us what it's for or what it's unto. Right, because there's a lot of debate over baptism. And we'll see in a couple minutes the, the form of baptism. It is, is, is a burial in water. It's an immersion in water. And that's the idea, is when you've repented, okay, now you've put the old man to death, what do you do with the dead guy? Bury him. You bury him. And and that's what baptism is. So he says, repent, like kill the old guy, and then bury him in water. And that's when God forgives you. That's when God washes yeah. away your sins. You repent of those sins, but now the, the power is in the blood of Jesus to wash away right. those sins. Jesus has the power over death. He, he is able to raise himself you know jesus was raised from the dead so we too are raised out of that water Romans six will say in newness of life mm-hmm. we're a new creature we're, we have a new purpose the old man's dead new man is here that's right and so again baptism is not just like something that happens like later on because there's a lot of people teaching that like well baptism is a symbol it is a symbol but it's more than just a symbol um it is the point at which sins are forgiven that's what peter says in acts 2 you want to what should we do you guys need to repent and you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and again we'll see this fleshed out more as we go through the book of acts but again if anybody's wondering what you need to do like i would just encourage somebody like just read the book of acts like just go through these accounts like we're doing today and it's really clear to see what we need to do so we talked about acts 3 already with like the repenting thing kind of the more detail there um We'll just mention as we talk about like the life of the early Christians is that one of the things we see them as they follow all that Jesus commanded them to do is that there's this sharing that happens among them. And that happens at the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That happens in Acts 4, verses 32 through 37, where they're selling their possessions. They're, they're helping the needy Christians among them. Uh, they're doing all sorts of wonderful things to do this. Um and it's fundamental that Christians aren't just saying some nice things and going through a nice ceremony of like a baptism and then like nothing really changes. But we see these disciples living out the change that Jesus proclaimed and living their lives for the Lord, but also living their lives for others. Yeah, it's a community that we see the early disciples have now that they're united in the common cause of Jesus Christ. That's right. There's a whole life of discipleship that they're now sharing together and correcting each other, helping each other, and sacrificing for each other. And so this isn't just like a one-and-done thing, but it becomes a way of life, and we see that lived out through the early church. Yeah, absolutely. The apostles, though, they will take their message of repentance and baptism further than just those people that were there on the day of Pentecost. We'll see the apostles taking their stand as well in front of a bunch of Jewish leaders in Acts 5. Um, Specifically in verse 31, Peter and the apostles will say, uh, in verse 29 rather, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. 
He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter doesn't stop his message in Acts 2 and say, all right, we've got a few thousand who've obeyed. That's good there. No, he keeps going. He goes to whoever is willing to listen to him, even the people that arrest him. He's willing to go to them and tell them about the message of forgiveness of sins through repentance, through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's right. And so one of the interesting things about Acts is it's not going to rehash all the things you need to do to be forgiven every single time that there's a conversion. What you need to do is like look at all the times that it talks about conversion, like put those things together. Yeah. One of the really helpful ones is in Acts chapter 8. Um, there's actually two really helpful conversion accounts in Acts chapter 8. Yeah, and it starts, by the way, with someone who was likely converted by the apostles named Philip. Um, Philip wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He was just a disciple, but he is an evangelist. So maybe someone who obeyed the gospel as a result of the, of the 12 making disciples, and now we see him going out and mm-hmm. making disciples. Disciples making disciples. Right. So in Acts chapter t- uh, 8, uh, we're not going to rehash like all these stories. If you want to hear like the full stories, like go back to our uh, earlier in season 2 and look up Acts chapter 8, and we talk more in depth about these things there. But in Acts uh, 8, in the kind of the early part, Philip converts a magician, like a sorcerer, named Simon. And it says in verses uh, 12 and 13, uh, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, uh, they sent to them Peter and John. And so then he sees these other things happening with like the gift of the Holy Spirit. He tries to offer money, yeah, which is really sad that like he thinks he can get the gift of God with money. Right. And so this is a question that comes up sometimes. Well, here's a Christian, a disciple, Simon, who's letting the old man sneak back up again. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, that, that's come into his mind. Now, what does a, a Christian need to do after you've been baptized and you fall back into your old habits? Yeah, do, do we need to be baptized again, or what, what happens here? Well, what we actually see take place is Peter confronts him about this, tells him, you have no part or portion in this matter. Your heart is not right before God. Verse 22 of Acts 8, Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours. And here's the key. Pray the Lord that, if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven. Um, so he needs to repent. So he's got to make that mental shift in his head again. You don't need, you know, and really what the problem here is, is his pride. That's mm-hmm. that's the issue here if it get to the root of it. You know, stop trying to offer money for this, but also correct your pride, be a humble person, and pray that the Lord might forgive you. You see, once we repent, that's great, that's needed. We also need to pray to God and ask him to forgive us. But now that we're in Christ, now that we're that new man, we have access to the blood of Jesus. He's interceding for us. And so we pray to God and ask that he can forgive us. That is what is required of us. Yeah, that's right. And so it's it's helpful that you know he's not told to be baptized. If we got baptized every time we needed to repent, we'd be pretty soggy (laughs) every day uh, just just bring a change of clothes because i'm gonna need to be baptized again but he just tells them you need to repent you need to pray and forgiveness is an ongoing process as well god cleanses us from our sins as we continue to repent so the other conversion account in acts 8 is the ethiopian eunuch and fascinating story about 
how the spirit guides Philip specifically to the middle of nowhere, <laughs> where this yeah. guy is in his yeah. chariot. He, he goes from all these people in Samaria to one guy, one dude in a chariot on his way out of Jerusalem, going back to Ethiopia. Yeah. Um, long travel this guy would have had. That's right. And so we won't, again, go through the whole story, but in verse 35... It says, after, you know, he finds out the eunuch is reading from Isaiah. It's like, oh, this is perfect. Uh, Acts 8.35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Mm -hmm. And this just shows us clearly, like, as the good news about Jesus is being proclaimed, What's the first thing out of the eunuch's mouth? Right. Look, water. And it wasn't the, the it wasn't Philip who said that, like Stephen said. It was the eunuch who said that. Uh, my translation, verse 35, the New American Standard says, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And I, I like I like that idea of just preaching Jesus, right? And it's like, well, what, what does preaching Jesus entail? Well, at least from this passage, we know it includes baptism. Mm-hmm. Because it was the eunuch who very excitedly says... Here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Yeah. And, and uh, of course, Philip didn't say, well, this prevents you from being baptized. He said, no, nothing prevents you. Let's, and he stops the chariot. And in verse 38, they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. In verse 39, they came up out of the water. Just as a side note, sometimes it's debated back and forth. Well, what, what form is baptism? We talked about this, I think, when we did the Acts 8 podcast, but... The word baptism it really isn't the best translation of the Greek word baptizo. You guys can hear the similarities between those. It's just a transliterated word. Really, a helpful way to translate the word baptizo in Greek would be immersion, mm-hmm. uh, meaning to plunge or to dip. You can look that up in really any Greek lexicon and see that that's what it means. But regardless of how to translate the word, it's pretty clear here that they go down into the water and come up out of the water. It's a full body of water. It's a full body immersion. Right. And, th- and this is a physical act. It's not just like a, a baptism in the Holy Spirit or something right. like that. I mean, the first thing out of the eunuch's mouth is, hey, water. <laughs> you know, like, let's stop the chariot, go down into the water. And so the mode of baptism is made really clear here in Acts 8. Yeah. And again, it's a beautiful thing that here in the middle of nowhere, the gospel reaches this eunuch, and he goes on his way rejoicing. Because he had received Jesus. He, he's forgiven. Um, he can now go forward as a disciple and, I suspect, go make more disciples in Ethiopia as he's headed back uh, to uh, his home country. This brings us to one of the biggest conversions in the book of Acts. Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, who at the beginning of chapter 9 is breathing threats and murder against the disciples. I mean, if you were to put a... Uh, bottom 10 list of uh least likely to be converted guys like Saul's at the top of that list definitely or bottom or whatever <laughs> yeah um, however that works but yeah he would be someone that we would we wouldn't expect to become a christian because obviously he's threatening the christians he's you know breathing murder uh threats of murder against the disciples in acts 9 and verse 1 you know he is a very dangerous man very obviously against christianity um but in acts 9 he becomes a disciple. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool to kind of see how this story plays out for further detail in that. You can go back and listen to the episode. But we will just briefly retreat it for a second. Um, there are a lot of different moments in Acts 9 where we might wonder, is he saved at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just kind of look at those four. Well, it starts, of course, whenever the light hits him, when he's on the way to Damascus. 
and uh, the voice comes out of heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So at this point, Jesus comes to Saul directly. Well, was it at this point that he's saved? He's having a personal experience with, with Jesus. Is he saved at this point? Well, we'll answer that in just a second. As we keep going through the text, we see that he is struck blind. And uh, in Acts, uh, Acts 9, in verse 8, Saul gets it from the ground, though his eyes were open, and he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they bring him to Damascus. He doesn't eat anything or drink anything. And in verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Okay, now we see that he's praying. Is he saved at this point? I, I wonder what kind of things was he praying at this point as well. <laughs> and he's just found out that he has been opposing the king. And uh, I'm sure he would have been pleading for mercy, uh, among other things. But we're going to see that it's not quite yet at this point that he is saved from those sins. Um, but continuing on, you know, Ananias comes in in verse 17. He enters the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. So you might say, well, at, at this point, you know, is he saved? Like he's now been given his sight back. But then the very next thing he does, even he's been fasting for three days. Mm -hmm. But before that, even he says, then he rose and was baptized. Right. And then verse 19, and taking food, he was yeah, strengthened. Yeah. <laughs> um, but more important than getting food was being immersed. Yeah. And so we want to ask through this text, at what point is he saved? At what point are his sins forgiven? Well, what's really cool is because the conversion of Saul is so convicting and such a cool story we actually see it told twice more in the book of acts in chapter 22 and in chapter 26 paul as he makes a defense before some people he'll retell his conversion experience and in his second retelling or i guess his first retelling of it in acts 22 it says in verse 16 um, we'll back up to verse 15 uh, when paul's recounting it he'll say for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard now why do you delay Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is Ananias' instruction to Saul. It's very clear from this passage that there is a direct connection between baptism and sins being washed away, isn't mm -hmm. it? That's easy to see there. And so it's at that point that Saul's sins are forgiven when he's baptized. That's right. And it's important to note that that, that is salvation. To be saved, well, saved from what? Saved from our sins. Right. I mean, that is the problem between us and God that needs to be taken out of the way. And it's at the point of baptism. Baptism itself, uh, there's nothing magical about the water or like something in there that like, oh, that, that's what cured you. No, it's the blood of Jesus. But Saul, for all the sins that he committed, those sins are washed away when he gets up and he's immersed in water, responding in faith to mm -hmm. Jesus. Um, again, Baptism without faith, without really believing or in Jesus. Yeah. Or, yeah, baptism without repentance is just getting wet. I mean, there's nothing special about baptism in and of itself, except that it's what King Jesus said. If yeah. you believe me and you're ready to give everything to me and repent, 
then when you're immersed in water, I forgive you. Yeah. And for, for some people, this one's a little bit challenging because they're like, well, is because I'm doing this physical act, am I in essence saving myself? Is this a work that I'm doing to save myself? But when you look at someone like Saul, whose sins are just countless, <laughs> I don't think at any point, even when he is baptized, could he say, well, I have saved myself. No, it's the blood of Jesus that is washing away his sins. Baptism is a response, as Stephen said, to faith in the Lord Jesus. It's necessary. Um, it's absolutely necessary, and it's absolutely the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. But it is a condition, just as like repentance is and just like belief is. We need to submit to it. Yeah, that's right. So those are some of like, the big ones. There's a couple other times in the book of Acts that we'll just mention uh, and that you can like dig into more on your own time. Um, Acts chapter 10 is the first conversion of a Gentile. And kind of the big deal in this chapter is actually what he does not have to do to be converted. Because all of the Jews would have thought, well, here's a Gentile. He has to become a Jew right. to be converted. And the big deal in this chapter is before he's ever circumcised or keeping the law of Moses or anything, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and the guys with him. And they're like speaking in tongues. And that's God's sign like, these guys are are ready for baptism. right? <laughs> and that's what Peter says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 47. After they're speaking in tongues, extolling God, Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why I like Acts 9 and 10 in the context of making disciples. A eunuch who wasn't allowed to go into the temple according to the old law. In Acts 8, he is made a disciple. Acts chapter 9, someone who is persecuting the church, Saul, is made a disciple. A Jew, though. And then Acts 10, someone who's a Gentile is made a disciple. In all three accounts, they highlight the baptism that they all three go through. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super convicting, super powerful as we see this consistent pattern. Yeah, that's right. And so these Gentiles are fully disciples of Jesus. They are baptized, repentant believers even though they're not practicing Jews. And that's kind of the big deal. For, that's not the big deal like for us, but like in the book of Acts, it's like, what? Like, this is crazy. So again, go back and listen to those episodes for more details on that. Um, Acts chapter 16, we're now into like the missionary journeys of Paul. And in Acts 16, he comes to uh, Philippi. And it's just helpful to note uh, the conversion of Lydia and the jailer here. Um, Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And then coming down to the jailer in verses 30 through 34, I mean, again, this is the middle of the night. The jailer thinks he's a dead man mm -hmm. because his prisoners, he thinks, have escaped. And then... Verse 30, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house, set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Yeah, and this is a something else we've seen consistency is just the urgency of baptism now. We saw it in Acts 8 with um, uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch. Look, water here, what prevents me from being baptized? We see it with Saul. You know, what hinders you? Arise and be baptized. 
And now we see it with the jailer as well. You know, that very hour of the night, when he sees the need to be forgiven, he goes and is baptized. That's right. Uh, fast forward into Acts chapter 18 in Corinth, you know, sin city of the ancient world. Um, in verse 8, it says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Um, and we have a really interesting account in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, because Paul comes there, and there's some backstory in chapter 18 about a guy named Apollos who had a lot of things right, but had missed it on baptism specifically, because he only knew the baptism of John. Right. So people weren't being baptized in the name of Jesus, which is part of the deal. And so Acts 19... He comes and he's like, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? They're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so read with me Acts 19 verse 4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this is really important because like, there's a lot of people who maybe have received some other kind of baptism than the kind of baptism we read about in Acts. That was true for these guys. Like they'd received the baptism of John the Baptist. And that's probably not true for a lot of people today. <laughs> like, oh, I was baptized in the name of John the Baptist. But there's lots of other forms of baptism that are not what we see in Scripture. Like, well, maybe I was sprinkled as a baby or maybe like I, I was got a poor baptism or whatever it is. And people are like, well, so like, what do I do? Like, I was kind of baptized, but like, does that count? I, I would tell those people what Paul tells these people in Acts 19. Mm -hmm. If your baptism wasn't what Jesus told his disciples to practice, then you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You need yeah. to be immersed in water for the, the biblical reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I just love, too, connecting that with Acts 2.38 with the emphasis on being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's so important there. Um, also, in Acts 24, as we kind of look at Paul and his preaching and teaching, it looks like he's in the middle of the gospel message with Felix and with Drusilla. Um, and he's talking about, verse 24, faith in Christ Jesus. But we see Paul, I think he's trying to get somewhere with them. And it's told, it tells us in verse 25, as he was discussing three things, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. And so we see there Paul is he's in the process of teaching the gospel. Um, he hasn't quite gotten to what they need to do specifically to be saved, but he is telling them what being a disciple is going to look like, you know, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So mm -hmm. it's just important to point that out. That those things are involved in obeying the gospel, realizing those things as well. Yeah, and the coming judgment is really a lot of the motivation. Like, hey, like I'm going to stand yeah. before God one day. Am I a disciple? Am I a forgiven yeah. follower of Jesus? The door is going to shut on our lives one day, or the Lord Jesus is going to come back. We need to be prepared for that. Um, and that's really what's driving a lot of the disciples here, and it's what drives us as well. That's right. So just kind of summing up, like looking back over these accounts, again, we would encourage anybody who says, like, well, how do I become a disciple? Just read the whole book of Acts. I mean, we've highlighted a few things today. We haven't highlighted everything by any means. But um, what we see the disciples doing is completely believing or putting their trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Completely believing in his life, in his ministry, but especially in his death, burial, and resurrection. Right. 
That's he's the we, king. We could do a whole other theme on just the resurrection, and that that is really the focus of so many of the lessons that we read in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, is the need for people to believe that he was raised from the dead. That's right. So there's a complete trust in Jesus, his resurrection. There's full repentance, turning away from the old man, putting him to death. There's something else mentioned about salvation in Romans 10, where he talks about like you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I mean, that's really what people are doing in Acts 2, where he's like, hey, God made him Lord in Christ. You killed him. And they're saying, yeah, what do we need to do? But they're confessing by their actions that Jesus is king by following his actions. So we don't see a whole lot about like verbal confession in the book of Acts. Um, but that, there's that idea that we do need to confess Jesus with our mouth, with our life, uh, yeah. to be his disciples. And then we've talked a good bit today about immersion or baptism mm-hmm. uh, because there is there are so many questions about that that people have. And if you have questions about that, we would love to talk with you about that. Uh, I'll give the contact info at the end of the, the show here. But then also that these people, they continue. Like this isn't a one and done thing. They continue to the end, and despite persecution. You know, see the last episode that uh, the Christian life is not an easy one by any means, but it is how we are forgiven and how we have hope and endurance to get through what this life throws at us. Yes. Uh, so if you have any questions, Stephen's going to give out our contact info in just a second. But if you need help with any part of becoming a disciple, we, we want to help you with that. We want to encourage you with that. And so uh, we, we really... Appreciate you listening to this season of HBG Bible Talks. Uh, the book of Acts mm-hmm. is just so rich, so many good things there. Lord willing, in season three, we are going to do the Sermon on the Mount. Season one, we did the Gospel of Mark, which actually says a few things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. But as a whole, the Sermon on the Mount is not in the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to spend some time in season three in Matthew's chapter five, six, and seven. So if you want to be reading that, preparing your mind on that, Lord willing, that's what we're going to be doing in season three. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, If you've enjoyed what you've heard today on the podcast, or if you have questions, um, do subscribe, rate, review, uh, reach out to us with your questions and comments, um, 717-585-0949, or email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com, or for more information, uh, capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.